Hola y bienvenidos a Peruvians of USA, peruanos de Estados Unidos. Un podcast en español, inglés y spanglish donde compartimos las diversas historias del inmigrante peruano. Mi nombre es Natalie Sofía y soy una chica peruana que vive en los Estados Unidos por más de 20 años. Welcome to Peruvians of USA, the podcast in Spanish, English and Spanglish where we share the diversity of the Peruvian immigrant experience. My name is Natalie Sofia, a fellow Peruvian living in the U.S. for more than 20 years. So let's get started. Welcome, Johnny, to Peruvians of USA. I am thrilled to have you here today. I think you are our first TV correspondent. So I'm really happy and excited to speak to you about not only your career, your Peruvian American story, but also uh, your interest in side hustles. Because <laughs> as we were talking prior to recording, uh, you have some interesting ones. So uh, Johnny, please introduce yourself. So my name is Johnny Fernandez. I currently live in Brooklyn, New York, um, and I'm a TV correspondent with some side hustles, including real estate and audiobooks. So kind of a little bit of everything, but currently live in uh, Brooklyn, work out of Manhattan, and I've been here about a year and a half. Uh, I was born in New Jersey, so uh, right across the river, and then moved all around the country for TV work and ended up back in New York. Awesome. So... First, I'm going to ask you to walk us through your career trajectory as a TV correspondent. You have covered rocket launches, hurricanes, you have covered presidential visits, and also the Pulse nightclub shooting, which is something that I would want to you to share a little bit of that experience. But yeah, how did you get to be a TV correspondent? Yeah, so um, I grew up, you know, with Peruvian parents. We grew up in New Jersey, and we moved to Florida. And when we were living in Florida, um, I, had, I was able to take a class in high school where we can shadow any person we wanted in the world. It was a very cool class. And for some reason, my parents would always tell me, they're like, oh, why don't you become a news reporter when you grow up? Because in their words, they're like, do anything in ghetto. And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but I realized very early on that I couldn't stay still. I wasn't, like if I was to get stuck in an office, I would probably just die of boredom because I just hate seeing like the same four walls every day. Like that would probably irk me. And my dad wanted me to become a doctor, like his family improved their doctors. But I was like, that's not like, I was not good at science. So that's not gonna be something I'm gonna follow. And I remember one day my mom with my grandmother, they were watching, uh, I think it was uh, Noticiero Univision. And they're like, oh, and there was a guy, I remember this so clearly, there was a guy that was covering a wildfire. And they're like, oh, like that's such an interesting career. They call me Jonito because it's little Johnny. They're like, oh, Jonito, ¿por qué no te metes a, a, a estudiar comunicaciones? And I was like, oh, like, that's cool. But like, I, I didn't know anyone that did it. So um, it always stood in the back of my mind. And then when I got to high school, I was able to shadow a news reporter because I picked uh, a news reporter. I was like, if we can shadow anyone, I'm going to shadow someone that does this really cool career that is so foreign to me because I didn't know anyone. No one in my family did TV. And it was such a distant thing for me. And I went to shadow someone from the local uh, Univision station in Orlando because I was living in Orlando. And that person, he, you know, he, I spent the day with him and I saw like how awesome this job was. And I remember like I got to sit on the anchor desk and got to take pictures and got to meet some of like the local celebrities in Orlando. And I went back home and I told my mom, like, hey, mom, like, this is what I want to do with my life. And from then on, like it kind of stood with me and I graduated high school. And uh, when I was transitioning into college, 
that's when it was time to pick a major. But my dad was always very focused on getting into the medical field because the medical field is super secure and there's always money in there and there's always going to be a job. And my dad would be like, oh, siempre haber trabajo. And, but in my mind, I'm like, I hate science so much. Like, this is not going to work. So I picked a school that had a science major and a communications major. Because in my mind, I was like, just in case I do one, I can always switch back to the other one. And I went to school and I told my parents, I was like, hey, I'm going to be a pre-med major. And they were really happy. But deep down inside, I was like, no, I'm going to like do journalism. And I did a semester and it was horrible. It was the worst semester of my life. I had biology one, biology one lab, anatomy and physiology, anatomy, physiology, the lab, calculus, and like English too. And I was like, this is horrible. And then my friend was like, hey, there's a, there, the studio, uh, TV studio, they're going to do like a national televised show. And why don't you come join us? And I was like, yeah, let's do it. And from that moment on, I went home and I told my parents, I was like, hey, I'm switching majors. And whether you like it or not, like, this is what I want to do with my life. And my dad flipped out. He's like, oh my gosh, get the pasa. We're paying so much for school. Why are you going to do this? And my mom was like, do what makes you happy. And I kind of just jumped in and I did it. And uh, I always knew I wanted to get into news because it was such an awesome career because you literally have like a front row to history. And I knew that um, through that journey, like I can pretty much have a very unique life and travel and tell people's stories. But also I knew that it was very out of the ordinary for me because I didn't know anyone that did it. So I had to kind of figure out how this worked how you can get to like national television in New York City, um, how you get into TV in Orlando, you know? And so I learned pretty much everything about it. I studied hard um, and TV classes are a little different because you don't really study. You kind of just, you know, you do projects and you do this and you work on your on-camera performance and your TV voice, as you guys say it. And you kind of do all these things. Um, but my main priority was doing an internship because I knew that was kind of going to get me in the door. And um, I did college in three years because when I was in high school, I did a college program that allowed me to advance. So I did college in three years and I ended up doing three internships. Uh, one was uh, with Telemundo in Tampa. It was a smaller Telemundo affiliate. So I was able to kind of be a little bit more hands-on. But when I got that, it was awesome because I kind of got my foot in the door and you know, kind of got familiar with like the affiliates and how that worked. But I knew I didn't want to do Spanish television because I grew up in America and I grew up speaking English and my Spanish, it's, I would say it's like a middle school level, but to be on TV in Spanish, it's like a whole different level of, you know, these words that you don't grow up saying like fiscalia or, you know, things like municipalidad or like things that I'm like, how do you say, I have trouble saying refrigerator in Spanish. Like, you know, I'm not going to read a whole store, a police report. I'm going to have to call my mom every half an hour and be like, Hey, what does this mean? And so I ended up doing that for a semester. Um, then I ended up going, coming back up to New York and I did a internship with a independent TV station called Fios One News. Um, so that was a very awesome experience because I was back in New York and I was able to kind of see how the New York market worked and got connected with a lot of different people. And there, um, I ended up meeting a mentor of mine. She's also Peruvian, um, but she's mixed. She's Croatian, Peruvian, and Bolivian. And so 
once we found out we we're Peruvian, that like automatically kind of, you know, united us. And she helped me a lot, um, kind of get my foot in the door in the future. But, you know, we kept in contact. So I met her there. And then when I went back for my last semester in college, I ended up interning at Fox 13. It was the Fox affiliate in Tampa. And then from there, I kind of got my resume portfolio together. And I knew I was like, all right, I want to do news. This is what I want to do. The way you start in news is you kind of, uh, you go up the markets around the country. So there's about 205 different markets, I think. Um, and you start from the bottom and you work your way back up. Mind you, this was early 2010-ish. So it was a lot different, like social media wasn't as big. So, you know, there was no influencers or YouTubers or anything like that. That was still fairly new. So I started in Huntsville, Alabama at the CBS affiliate. And that was my journey to local news. I was there for about a year. And from there, I worked my way into Orlando. And I was in Orlando for about seven years. And then New York came calling. And I was able to work with the CBS national affiliates. So pretty much we would cover like the big stories. And we would do it strictly for the affiliates. Now I'm working as a correspondent for a business website covering business news. And then that's how I got into real estate. But that's kind of the short version of how I ended up kind of going up the ranks from, you know, college, Huntsville, from Huntsville to Orlando and from Orlando to New York. That's a short version of it. Wow. That's definitely quite a trajectory is your career has taken you all over the U.S. it seems. Um, and definitely I'm sure you have met very interesting people. I love the story of you meeting your mentor and having that Peruvianness kind of connect to you. I think it's awesome. One thing I'm trying to do with this podcast, it's, it's create those relationships between Peruvians where we see each other, we recognize each other and we're like, yo, let me help you out. You know? So I love that story. So many questions that I have for you. Maybe somebody out there in the audience wants to, or has thought about journalism school and like, what is that even like? You can give us a glimpse into what journalism school is. Yeah. So with journalism school, um, I went to school where they strictly focus. It was either print journalism or broadcasting. So I chose the broadcasting side of it. And for broadcasting, um, you know, you have different classes, you know, you have classes on how to write for television, you know, like there's, there's a different way of writing for TV than writing for um, print or writing for radio or writing for like online In TV, it's active writing. You have to use a lot of good verbs to describe things and to make things active because TV is quick. TV is like, you know, you have to tell a story in a minute, a story where it includes things like, you know, what happened at a city council meeting or what happened on a national level with like uh, the presidential, you know, budget or a city council budget and tell these stories in less than a minute. So you have to like learn how to use the proper vocabulary. And then, like you said, a lot of it was also learning projects back then. It's crazy. I'm saying that because it was not that long ago, but back then there was this concept of you doing, learning how to edit, learning how to shoot your own stuff. When you first start off, you work that way because these lower markets in like Huntsville, they're not going to be able to afford a full, like an entire crew for you. And then you work your way to places where they can't afford a crew with like a camera guy, a light guy, an audio guy. But it also helps you realize that when you're doing TV, you kind of know the entire aspect of it. 
so when you sit down with a producer, when you sit down with an editor, you can call the shots and you can say, hey, I don't like that shot. Let's use a tight angle because we're telling the story a certain way. And the images on the television, they end up giving more feeling to the story depending on what you see. So learning like the different angles for cameras, learning the different interviews, how to interview people, how to set people up in interviews, how to like understand the lighting aspect of it. Those were what the projects consisted of, how to light people properly. So your face is fully lit or it's not halfway lit because it can reflect completely different on TV when you're trying to tell a story. Um, how to mic people up properly because sometimes the microphone itself can completely throw off an interview and completely throw off a story. So it's these things you learn, which don't seem like a big deal when you're doing it in school, but when you're in the real world, they make a huge difference in just everything. And being able, for me, being a reporter, being able to sit down with a producer and telling them, hey, I don't like that shot. Why don't we use this shot instead that was shot this way? And this is why we shot it this way. And you can kind of intertwine and give your sense, you bring more value to the table that way. Yeah, it, it kind of makes me think of also the best chefs out there are those the ones that started being busboys or understanding how the whole kitchen works. Yeah. And it makes you just appreciate your co-workers that much more, right? Um, yeah. So I think it's neat that you got to learn all the aspects of what being a TV correspondent means. One of the things that, as you were telling us your story, or your, the trajectory of your career is you got a lot of internships and you got a lot of internships in a variety of places. What was that process like for you to get those internships? And I ask because I know that sometimes in our community, we don't ask around for opportunities or, or we're not as knowledgeable about opportunities that can come our way. Yeah. So I think for me growing up, my mom and dad were always very big on being Mosca. <laughs> they were always big and they were have always, to be if you're yeah. <laughs> like you oh you have to be mosca and the, and to take it a, a notch even further my mom's always like oh tienes que ser mosca cevichera so like you have to be on it or tienes que ser sapo tienes que ser mosca like and growing up that way you really honestly there's just something ingrained in you that you know my parents always told me we came to this country my parents came here in the 80s like we came to this country for you guys to have a better life. I was super blessed that we we were raised in, in a very middle class, upper middle class upbringings. Like we didn't go through things that other Peruvians go through when they when you know you live here because my parents came here and they had an expectation of what they wanted their kids to be. And sometimes that's a little harsh to hear because you know there was there was no my parents didn't take crap. Like when we got home, like they're the best people, but they were also very firm on making sure that we got a career, that we were able to move forward and not stay stuck in like a vicious cycle of, you know, being ignorant, being poor, you know, living a mediocre life. That was never the mindset my parents had for us. So going into college and picking a career that they didn't know about, I had to work harder to convince them like, hey, I can do this because this wasn't like I was going to law school or I was going to med school. Like I was doing something completely out of the blue for an immigrant family that they had no idea what this consisted of. Like they had no idea, like no one in their family had ever like ever approached this field. So I had to work harder to prove to them like, hey, I'm gonna make this happen because if I don't like, 
they're going to murder me, essentially is what ends up happening. Knowing that internships were important to network. Um, and I found that out because I would research a lot of journalists on TV that either look like me or had a very similar, similar last name to me, but were in the English speaking world. The reason I, I chose not to do Spanish television was because number one, my Spanish was okay. Number two, the connection to the Hispanic community for me wasn't there as much as the American community because I didn't grow up in Peru. I didn't grow up in South America. I grew up here. And I think there's always going to be a disconnect because I don't know what someone that was born in Peru, I don't know what they really went through. I, I heard stories, but it's completely different hearing a story than living through, you know, actual things that go on in Peru. Like, you know, during like the times in the 80s, like the terrorists that was going on in Peru, like I didn't live through that. I didn't live through uh, certain income levels in Peru that like my parents tell me about. I hear all the stories and and it's, to me, it's like an eye-opening experience, but I've never lived it. So I can't lie and, and say, hey, I have this connection to like the people that watch when you be young because I don't, like I look like them and I speak their language. That's one thing, but the connection is different. I grew up in America. So I was like, hey, I'm going to focus on the American television because I know what a kid from New York, New Jersey, Florida lives like and how his schooling went. I didn't go to Primaria of like Senora de Lima or, you know, things like that. I didn't go through school like that. I went through school here. I used all the opportunities and everything that I knew and I put it to practice when finding an internship and looking at people and knowing that certain people did three internships. If they can do it, I can do it. Nothing's holding me back. So I literally would call like um, Spanish and English speaking television stations because I was like, hey, everyone needs interns. I'm just gonna make phone calls. I'm just gonna call and I'm gonna see what happens. And even though I didn't wanna do Spanish television but I knew there was an opportunity there and I knew, hey, if I jump in on this you don't know what can happen. And I did it and the door opened up and it was something to put on my resume. And then from there, I reached out again to people at Fios One. I didn't know a soul. And I was like, hey, you know what? You guys are looking for internships. Let's do it. And then same thing with Fox 13. I called, but I had a friend that uh, was already interning there. And she told me, she's like, hey, you need one more internship to put a nice demo tape together, which is what you send out to television stations. And this is a good place to do it. And a lot of people ask me like, oh, why didn't you go for like ABC News or NBC News or CBS News? Because my mindset was those places are great but you're limited to doing certain things and that's it because it's union. I wanted to get the full experience, hands-on, talk to producers, talk to editors, talk to reporters. And I ended up jumping in on local stations because you can do whatever you want. Um, you can either be attached to the phone and pick up phone calls or you can jump around and ask the reporters questions. And in every place that I went to, I found someone that was able to take me under their wing and pretty much would go out with them every day. And I'm like, hey, like, how did you tell this story? Why did you tell the story this way? Hey, can I do a stand-up? Like, I need to practice like my on-camera presence. Hey, can I help you interview? Hey, can I help you shoot? And it was those things that got me that first job. Wow. 
that's that's impressive. So I just want to reiterate a couple of things you said to, for our audience. It, it, so it seems like some of the key things you did, one was networking. And we hear that in every industry that networking is, is so important. And I know it sounds like a dirty word, but there's a very genuine way to do it. Oh, and also the fact that you added value before you even asked a favor of them. It seems like you, your mindset was like, how can I add value to this relationship? How can I add value to this position? And then maybe that will position me in a way that I can ask for something later. And I, I'm only sharing this because I know that there could be somebody out there that doesn't realize that this is the way like this career life kind of works, right? But did you encounter any obstacles in either in your career or finding these internships? Yeah, I think the big obstacle for me was trying to figure out where I fit in. Do I fit in with Hispanics? Do I fit in with Americans? What's my true identity when it comes to that? Because I think growing up Peruvian, you grow up very close with your family. It's a very tight-knit community. And then if you find someone else that's Peruvian, like they kind of go in your circle. But growing up for us, besides our family, we didn't really know too many Peruvians. So I think for me, a, a problem I had was trying to find like, who did I want to identify? And how did I want to represent myself? Um, because I had the last name Fernandez. And it's something that I, I love that last name. But then I also, I, I remember in college specifically, there was a group of kids that told me like, oh, you're not Spanish enough because you don't speak enough Spanish. Um, but then I'm like, no, I speak Spanish with my parents, with my aunts and uncles, but with my friends, they speak English. So, and there was this big debate. And I, re I remember specifically when I was sending out my portfolio tape, there was a story where they had Spanish words and I pronounced it like an American. And then the person that was mentoring me was like, no, Johnny, like you have to really embrace the fact that you're Hispanic and that you know how to say those words properly, say it, but don't, don't fake it. Just say how it is. Like, cause I, I've met people that they're over, like for me, it's like a little too much and it's like a little dramatic and I'm not like that. Um, and I think I had to keep true to myself and I had to stop caring about what people thought and just accept that the reality is like I was born and raised here, but my parents are Peruvian and I speak Spanish pretty well. I don't speak it at a professional university level, but I can have a sit down conversation and interview someone. And I think it was literally balancing out and being okay with the fact that I may not be on Noticiero Univision, but I may not be a blonde person, a blue eye Fox News person, I am who I am and that's it. And I think once I learned and accepted that, it really taught me how to embrace it. And I think that is what pretty much was escalated me so fast to, you know, coming to New York and working in the network and working uh, with that category of people and that category of news, which is, you know, you, you turn on network news, which is like the big five, you don't see many uh, Hispanics, Hispanic Americans. It's very few and far in between. They're there, but there's still representation that needs to be added to it. Yeah, and and I think it, I, a lot of people will be able to resonate with you and and with that obstacle of where do I fit in? I think not only Peruvian Americans, but also you know, I came to this country as a kid, and even though I was born in Peru and I experienced some things there. I still, most of my life have been here and I have struggled with that sense of like, where do I fit? Who am I? You know, and it's, and it seems like it's ultimately, it's for you to decide and nobody else can tell you otherwise. And I think 
um, I think it, it, it is a struggle. What was that final point when you were like, this is who I am, this is what I'm going to do? It, was there a catalyst to that or was it kind of like similar to my experience, which was more of a long process of a lot of reflection and a lot of like introspection? I think it was that moment when my mentor stopped me and she told me, she's like, listen, you have to really embrace this who you are because right now like being hispanic in the american market is like the hot thing and to me i'm like that's so strange because i don't think it is but they're like no like representation needs to be added everywhere in american television and you have the best of both worlds and we really sat down and we talked about it because she's peruvian she's mixed she looks american and for her she's like looking american actually was a disadvantage because there's so much more people that I have to compete with. You, on the other hand, you don't have to compete with many people because you bring so much more to the table. You speak English, you went to school, you're prepared, but you also have the look that they want. You have the last name that they want, but at the same time, you bring so much more value because you have both the, um, you have the point of view of the American, but you also have the point of view of someone Hispanic, someone that grew up, you don't, you may not have gone through like problems like poverty in like a third world country, or you didn't immigrate here, but you know those stories and you can relate to it at a different point of view than someone that went through it. So you have the best of both worlds. And when that really sunk in, I was like, I do have the best of both worlds. That was kind of like my point where I'm like, all right, I have to really embrace this. Like, I'm not going to be dramatic and say my last name, oh, Fernandez, because that's not who I am in real life. Like, I'm not that person where I'm going to over-enunciate and only have Spanish friends. Like, I have friends from everywhere. And growing up here, your last name is Fernandez. Like, that's it. But I think staying true to myself, you know, that moment was kind of like the aha moment. And that's when I realized, okay, like, I have to, like, always stay true to myself, regardless of what happens and regardless of, you know, who's around and, and what job pays me. I think that's a great message. Just regardless of what you decide, just be true to yourself. And it's, it's your decision. At the end of the day, it's your decision. And it's what's going to bring you opportunities, bring you fulfillment. It just gives you so much clarity about your direction. And then things kind of can progress from there, that point. So switching a little bit the topics, I am curious about the different stories that you had to report. As I mentioned earlier, you had to do presidential <laughs> campaigns, you had to do hurricanes, you had to do also the Pulse nightclub shooting. And for the audience members who are not as familiar, this happened in June of 2016. There was a mass shooting in, in a nightclub in Orlando. The name of the club nightclub was Pulse. 49 people were killed, 53 were wounded. It was Latin night. So a lot of the victims were Hispanic background. And it's, I think, and I could be wrong about this. I think it's still the deadliest incident in, in the history of violence against LGBT people in the U.S. And it's also been the deadliest terrorist attack in the U.S. since 9-11. Um, tell me about you reporting that story. So for me, it was, it was a very interesting experience because I was actually here in New York I was visiting family and friends and it was my last night here. So I remember we, we all went out that night we were here in New York and I had just seen one of my friends that was a correspondent for one of the network news. She works for ABC and we were literally talking like two hours ago. And then 
I was scrolling on Twitter and I saw her tweet say something among the lines of Orange County deputies say the shooter has entered the club. And I remember in my mind thinking, she's tweeting about Orange County. There's one in, in, in California and there's one in Florida. I was like, and I didn't really think anything of it. So we went out that night and that next morning I was flying back to Orlando. And then I started seeing more tweets, but I kind of didn't, it didn't click for me yet. Cause I was like, all right. But the next morning I got on the plane and when I landed, that's when things started to click. Cause my flight was like, like five, six in the morning. And I realized, oh my gosh, like this is going on in Orlando. And then the numbers of people that, you know, were shot and that were killed, that were pronounced dead, that started to go up. I was working the morning shift and it was a Sunday. I, I remember it was a Sunday. So I landed and kind of got settled back in and I called the station. I'm like, Hey, what's going on? And the only thing they told me, I remember was just prepare to come in early to alleviate the weekend crew. That day, it was like just chaos. And I remember that day, the first day we had to go to like a blood drive because they were kind of like trying to coordinate a blood drive because the hospitals needed blood. And then, um, so that was kind of where I, they sent me that morning. But everyone, you know, we kind of were like figuring out what was going on. And by then, by the time I got in, like we knew that there was a, we kind of knew the whole story, but we didn't know the impact yet of how big this was. And to give you a glimpse, this had been less than 24 hours. So people were still looking for people. People were still like family members were trying to contact their loved ones, the hospitals. Like, so it was interesting because the hospital was less than two miles from the nightclub. So people in that area of downtown Orlando, like it was chaos. So they had crews there already. And I went to a blood drive that was not that far away. And that whole week, we ended up having assignments. And pretty much everyone had to be in a certain place every day as soon as they got in. So for me, my assignment was being at the club, at the scene of the club every morning. So we had crews everywhere. So I was in front of the club pretty much until that following week. And it was crowded, like inter- like everyone from, you know, Good Morning America, Today Show, all the local news, people from different television markets were there. Um, people from, you know, Mexico were there, um, Japan, like it was like, I will never forget. And up to this day, like I've never seen that many international television crews at one place. And we're all like side by side. And it was interesting because not only, like you said, it was Latin night. So a lot of the people that, you know, were at the club were Hispanic. Um, but it was really interesting because reporters, they tried to like speak with family members and whatnot and being Hispanic at that moment, it really did help me connect on a different level. And so there was a connection that I was able to make with certain family members when you were interviewing them, because you knew the pain, you could see it in their eyes. And it was also the one story I can tell you, and up to this day, it still resonates with me that when you, when we would get out of the car, like the air was so different and you can tell it was just something like something evil had happened and you can just feel it in the air. You can feel it just like knowing that, you know, 49 people had passed away, had died. There was a hate crime that had happened and it happened in front of like in our backyard. There was just so much that happened that week specifically, because that was the week that the shooting had happened. Christina Grimmie, she was a contestant from The Voice. She got shot. They shot her dead in a concert a couple of days before. And then the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. And then on Wednesday, a little kid got um, eaten by an alligator at Disney World. 
And that was all within that week. So it was like, literally, we didn't sleep that week. And it was like, we were working 24 seven. And just, I think for us, for me specifically, even though I'm not LGBTQ plus, or I'm not a first responder, or I'm not a doctor, but being there, it's something that will mark Orlando because it happened there, but it also marked my life personally and as a career, because you were part of that story. It's a story that we, I, I remember um, we would talk to people and their family members and like spouses of people that had passed away and just hearing their stories. Like there were normal people like us that just wanted to have fun. And that one night of fun turned into this tragedy and being able to connect with them on a different level was something I'll never forget because it just, it was so impactful. And all they just wanted was justice. They just wanted someone, you know, to, to answer the question, why, why did this happen? And it, it was, it was definitely something that to this day, like I, I remember certain parts of that, of that week and just besides the tragedy that happened, there was also acts of kindness that went, that happened that day. And it's just crazy to me that like, I was there, I reported it. Like I was in the front lines, the president came to visit Orlando. This was back when president Obama was in office and I was there and we reported on, on that. And there was a lot of things that that week, you know, will forever shape my career, shape my life. And it also gave me more empathy for people. It reminded me that a simple hello, a simple hi, a simple smile can change the way a person views the day. And you don't know what's going on in people's lives. So you mentioned that the week that you were there reporting, you know, like you can feel it on the air, some sort of evilness that happened there. I remember a story that Oprah mentioned. She used to be a TV reporter and she realized that was probably not the career for her because she would get emotional with the people that she was interviewing. And, and, and so that she, she, was, she was touched a lot by, by those stories. How do you, one, armor up so you are reporting the stories and as impartial as, as you can be, but also at the end, I'm sure there's a, an emotional toll that happens similar perhaps to, to therapists, right? That they yeah. are talking to their, to their clients and then they got to kind of shed that that heaviness of that conversation. What is that process like for you? Yeah, well, for me, I think early on, like I, I grew up in a house of, you know, faith, like we went to church. And I think for me, growing up, I always knew and I, and I still practice it to this day that faith is a part of balance. For me, I'm, I'm big on like trying to balance out life, like we work and we work hard, but we also there's a time to vacation and have fun. And there's also there's a time for everything. So I think for me, knowing that in the beginning of my day, I like to meditate and pray and, and just make sure that mentally, spiritually, I'm okay, you know, and, and I can go forward towards the day. And I think that helps me balance out just me as a human. And I think to decompress from the craziness of the job, I make it a priority to number one, make sure that I know that this is just a job. This is not my life. This is a job. And it's a job that, that I've enjoyed, but it's not my life. I have, when I go home, I have a beautiful family. I have, you know, a sister. I have a great girlfriend. I have cousins. I'm healthy. My family's healthy. So I have to separate and I have to remind myself when I'm going home or whatever goes on or how I'm getting home, I remind myself my life consists of 
a lot of richness, meaning a lot of, you know, good things that happen in my life. Like I have good health. I have uh, a family that loves me. I can pay my bills. These things for me, like help me separate the job from reality. I feel a lot of times work definitely interferes with your reality. And a lot of times that makes people internally suffer. But for me, I know that my reality is one thing and work is another thing. And, you know, sometimes they intertwine. I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm not. Um, but sometimes you have to take a step back and say, okay, like this is there. And there's been plenty of times where I've taken the job home with me and I've slept and I've dreamt about things that I'm like, oh my gosh, like that's not my life. This is my life. So, and then also going to the gym, exercising, seeing friends, um, taking vacations, like seeing my, like I live in New York now. So seeing, going back and seeing my family and taking time to FaceTime my niece and going out on dates with my girlfriend, like things like that help me keep well-rounded. I, I think that's important for all of us, right? Not to take our work home. Although now in COVID times, our work is at home. <laughs> so that's become a lot tougher. What has been the toughest story that you had to report? And has there ever been a, a story that perhaps you said, I, I can't do this. This is not an assignment for me. So I'll be very honest. I've never given, given up an assignment um, because mentally I try to just power through it. Are there times that it's uncomfortable? Very much so. When you're knocking on a doorstep of a uh, murder, when you're following a rapist out of jail, those are very uncomfortable moments where you're like, oh man, like what did I get myself into? But I think for me, stories that are tough are always stories that involve children. Um, I've dealt with many stories that a child was killed. Stories with children always get to me because a child is so innocent for things like this to happen. It always, that's always a difficult part for me because not only have they suffered, but their parents and their family also suffer. So that was, that's always been a big thing for me. And one specific story that stands out, I was in Orlando and there was a story about a child that she walked off a school bus and fell dead to the ground. And it was a wild story. And, you know, there was like medical issues and there was like, there was, I did a big investigation piece on it, but that story stood out to me specifically because the parents wanted answers and we couldn't get the answers that we wanted. There was a per like, if there was a person that had murdered this child or something, that would have been one thing, but there it still remained a mystery and it was a deep investigation piece that I did and um, the child died and the cause of death, you know, they, they pretty much ruled it. Like it was, I think they had ruled it that it was just like health reasons, but there was just so much more underlying issues that she was like five. And, um, and it's stories like that, that sometimes you don't get the answers you want. And there's, it's literally out of your hands. So I have two questions and continuing with, with your career. So the first question is, what story do you want to report on now? Like if somebody said to you, hey, Johnny, you can report on anything that you want anywhere in the world. What story would you want to pursue or where would you want to go? The other question I have is, so 2020 has been 
an interesting year. A lot of division in this country. Media had a role in it or has been brought in as a, a source of division. So what do you think is the role of TV correspondents, the media in, in, in a country that feels very divided and it feels very heavy to a lot of us now? I know those are very heavy questions, no. but feel free to answer them in whatever order you want. <laughs> sure. So I think for me, the, the story that I would want to do now is specifically living in New York, the city's changing. And I think for me, I'd love to interview leaders here in New York and also the next administration is how do we rebuild from this? You know, not only coronavirus, but also a divisive country. At this point, the, the states, the United States, it's divided and it's pretty clear and black and white, like it's divided. And I think for me, it would, I would love to really talk to leaders here in New York City and also the next administration coming in would be to like, chat with them and see what exactly are we going to be going doing and moving forward to unite the country and to resolve the issues that can't just be hey here's a band-aid we're going to like fix it and move on because there are deep issues in this country and i think things finally exploded and now it's time to figure out a way to solve it and figure out how do we move forward because at this point this is a very unique age in history where everything can be seen in a drop of a hat. Everything, people have access to anything and everything now. So that makes the process of moving forward a lot more difficult. Um, and then in regards to the role the media has, at this point right now, I have friends that are full-time correspondents that are White House correspondents. And something that they always tell me, and this is, at the end of the day, this is a journalist's job, is to report the facts. And what are the facts? The facts are what you have in front of your face as a reporter and making sure that those facts line up and making sure you attribute and making sure you know that what you have is of is from a valuable source and making sure that this isn't something you're making up or this isn't something that you're hyping up to a certain extent is knowing that you have the facts and reporting those facts and not swaying one or, or another way. You have to report the facts and you have to stay with it. And due to the administration that's in office now, it's changed the way society has viewed the media. And at one point, even when I was going in, the media was viewed as someone, as a reliable source. The media was viewed as like, my parents still watch the six o'clock news now, like Noticiero Telemundo or Noticiero Univision, and they're like, hey, like, oh, in the noticias, he's saying fill in the blank, and they take it to heart. But now it's different. Now with, you know, the changes in how President Trump views the media, it changed how society viewed us. And now we have to make an effort to report the facts. And sometimes that isn't as easy as you know, it seems, and people don't like us. When I was reporting in Orlando, there was all, all the time people came up to uh, to me and they would say, oh, like, hey, fake news or hey, all these things that are so unnecessary, but at the end of the day, it's part of the job. And you just kind of have to just go with it and say, all right, you know what? Like at the end of the day, I know my truth and my truth is reporting the facts and knowing that these facts will help someone know the truth. Have you encountered any moment where you had to make a judgment call when perhaps someone wanted to spin a story a particular way and, and you knew that that wasn't necessarily a factual story 
have you been put in that position before? I have, I have. And I'll, t- I'll tell you like how it is. I think um, depending on who you're working under, there's a certain way they like to say things. Um, and the way the words used, which is why it's good to go to journalism school so you can use your words correctly. You know, the way, you know, you put a sentence together that will go on TV, one word can change the entire meaning of something. So it's not spinning the story, it's how to word a story correctly and how to know that what you're saying is actually what you mean. And there were times reporting in local news when when you're on the network side of things, it's a little different because it has to go through like different approval process. When, When I was on the local level, sometimes they would word things differently. And for me, there were times where I had to stand up for myself and say, hey, I don't like how this is worded because this isn't true or this sounds differently. Let's work together so we can both agree with the outcome of the story because it can turn out and translate one way or it can translate a different way. And I've had stories where, because I said one word differently, I had lawyers on the phone calling the station, calling me, I was called into the office and they're like, hey, we're going to sue you because you said that one word and one word can be a difference of a lawsuit and you, me losing my job. Like it's intense. Like, you know, and you have to be very careful with what you say and how you say it and your attributions. It's very, 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 it's it's a very slippery slope and the approval process goes through different people um for it to finally air on tv and it's um it's a very delicate process and so legally what is that structure of responsibility what does that look like yeah it's a great question so for me it like i have managers that it's the new the news producer the assistant news producer the executive producers the producers the reporters So if something happens to that magnitude where there's legal action, it's my executive producer, my news director, my general manager, they're all involved in this process. So depending on what happens or what the situation is, reporters have lost their jobs in the past. I never lost my job because I had backup. I had emails. I had, you know, a paper trail to say, all right, this is why I decided to write this. And you have to learn how to back yourself up. Like you put something on TV, if they call and say, hey, why did you put that? You have to have the paper try to say, oh, I put that because, you know, and show and bring it to the table and learn how to defend yourself. That's so interesting. That is not just, so someone who is not in, you know, the media at all, I am not, that you have to learn all of this. You have to learn like, yeah, make sure your sources are there. Make sure you're documenting properly. Learn how to defend yourself. And and it's interesting because sometimes sources will tell you something off record. So ahead of time, you know, someone's going to be charged with something. Something's going to happen. And sometimes you can't say it. And sometimes you'll be the first to know. And I, I remember I broke a big story in Florida and it involved the governor. And we had heads up a couple of hours beforehand. And once we got the green light to go, and once it was confirmed, and once all the sources confirmed it, and once we got the green light, we beat everyone in Orlando. Sometimes you have information and you just have to hold on to it and report it when you get the green light. And sometimes you know 
what's going on inside the world and in whatever, like whether it's like the political world or the police world or the board of education world. And you can't say stuff until you get things confirmed. So it's, wow. it's a lot of responsibility. It is. And, and, and it's, it's the responsibility that people in the media world, you know, they get attacked a lot, but they take the job seriously because there's a lot of responsibility and there's still a sense of responsibility to like deliver the facts and deliver what's truth. That's true. Pivoting into perhaps a lighter topic of side hustles. So you also have, as I mentioned earlier, interesting side hustles. You stated you do audiobooks and you are into real estate. So tell us exactly what you do in those areas and why did you start those side hustles? So um, like I told you guys earlier, I moved to New York to be a correspondent for CBS News. And because of coronavirus, they froze a lot of jobs. And I was a freelance correspondent, meaning I wasn't under contract. So once they told us, hey, because of a merger that happened, and then like that following week coronavirus happened, they're like, hey, all freelancers are pretty much on, like, there's no freelancers, like everyone go home. I had to figure out what I was going to do. Like, I was like, all right, like, um, all all I've known is TV and reporting and every station in New York City was on a freeze. So I was like, I can't get a job in TV reporting. What am I going to do? Like, I have an apartment in Manhattan. Like, I got to figure something out. <laughs> so throughout that time, I started doing audiobooks. I did one. It was a science book, a very boring book, very interesting, but it was a science book about natural medicine. And I did like half that book. And then I was like, all right. And I also did other little like kids books and like just small things like that. Nothing major. And then I ended up getting into real estate because of, you know, trying to figure out what to do with my life and everyone going through a hiring freeze. And I got into real estate. I was pretty much doing nothing between March and April, beginning of May. And my cousin suggested like, hey, why don't you get your real estate license and start doing real estate in New York? And I was kind of hesitant. I was like, no, like, I don't like that's such a slime ball gig to get into. But, you know, once I really started to learn about it and diversify myself a little more, I kind of like hit the ground running and I'm like, hey, this is great. And I use a lot of the skills that I did in TV, the communication skills, the proactive skills. I use all that and it translated so well into uh, into real estate. So now I'm an agent on the side. So Monday through Saturday, I do a mix of reporting and then also do real estate. So I'm doing everything from rentals here in Manhattan, anywhere from like the Upper West Side or Breeze Side, downtown Manhattan, lower Manhattan. And I'm doing some sales transactions too. So it's a it's great income. I am a firm believer. I think because growing up in a Peruvian household, I saw certain things that I liked and certain things that I didn't like. And something I learned was like to have a diverse portfolio and having more than one stream of income. Because if you're going to be living the cheque a cheque, like my mom would say, uno, uno no puede vivir de chequecito, chequecito. Like, you know, that's not something that I wanted in my life. And I will always have the experience of reporting in my back pocket. But now I have other, I've opened myself up to more diverse areas. And I did not want to go back to school at all. I had no desire to go back to get a master's or a PhD. And so this was like a very quick 
course, got my license, took the test and started working in it. And I love it. Awesome. And so, but it, I guess thinking ahead in terms of like 2021, 2022, perhaps when we get out of this pandemic and do you see yourself going back to, to the news, to reporting, or do you see more of a mixture? Yeah. So that's a really good question. Cause that's something I've had to ask myself so much. I think for me, I definitely want to mix both of it in. And now I have a better understanding of the business world, the real estate world, and general news. So my idea in an ideal world would be probably to get more into corporate business news, you know, Fox News Channel, but like the business side of it, or like a CNBC. Right now I'm freelancing for a alternative finance website. It's called Debanked. So they have more business news and that's kind of what we're working on. So this is all new to me. Like I've always been used to general news and like news of the day and like, you know, President Trump's administration or like the shooting that happened here or the fire. Or, and that's all been great. But I've always realized that there has to be for my career, if I want to move forward, I have to build a brand around a specific area of expertise because I feel like you can sell yourself a little better like that. And I've met plenty of people in news that specifically focus on like medical news or business news. And for me, I was always curious, but this whole experience now has opened me up to specifically honing in on one area. I think it's fantastic that you're diversifying your skills and your portfolio. Like if anything, 2020 has shown us not to not depend on one paycheck. (laughs) So... Um, All right. So let's learn a little bit about your family's journey from Peru to the U.S. Tell us about your parents' experience in Peru. What have they shared with you? Where are they from in Peru? Like, why did they come here? Why not Europe or Australia? There's so many other countries. I think back in the 80s, people were also going to Venezuela because there was a lot of opportunities in Venezuela at the time. They were going to Mexico. I know many went to get their master's degree or their education in Mexico. So I'm always curious as to like how families decide to come to the U.S. Yeah. So for me, like my family, so my mom's from Ferreñafe, but she was raised in Lima and my dad's from Trujillo. So my mom and my dad met here in America, but my dad came because his brother was already here. So my uncle immigrated in like the early 80s. On my mom's side, my uncle immigrated here, but he came in like the mid 70s. So the reason they came on my mom's side specifically, I know this a little more, was because of just the economy of Peru at that time. There was a lot of terrorism in that 80s period. There was just a lot like the country wasn't doing well and they needed to leave. And when my uncle left in the seventies, he saw the opportunity that America had. And he immediately was like, Hey, this is way better than what's going on in Peru. And he was able to bring my grandmother over. And then my mom has eight siblings. So some way, shape or form, they got all eight of them to Peru legally. I mean, excuse me, to America legally. And they came to New Jersey. That's where a lot of Peruvians are now. And that was like, that's like the hub, like Little Lima and Patterson. Yeah, that's little, yeah, that's totally Little Lima right there. (laughs) Yeah. And, and that's how, that's why they ended up coming. And I asked my mom and dad, like why they chose America. And at the time they're like, America, it's a powerhouse. 
a lot of my dad's family went to Europe. They went or they went to Argentina, but they chose America because they knew that the opportunities were there. You work hard. They have the immigrant dream where you work hard, you play hard, you can get whatever you want here. Obviously, things have changed, but back then immigration was. It wasn't as strict as it was now to be able to get people over here from another country, and that's how we ended up in America. So, do you know if they benefited from?、Um, I know Ronald Reagan had sort of like an amnesty program, I think, in the eighties. And the only reason I ask is because I know my aunt came here in the eighties as well, and she was one of the beneficiaries. Where, I, I, if I'm not, and I can, I'll probably Google this and put some links on the episode description just to confirm. But I think there was some sort of amnesty program in the '80s, and and many,、uh, many families were able to take advantage of that. So I'm not sure if that was something that they have shared with you, or if you're aware. It, it was definitely something on my mom's side because they were able to just kind of ask the embassy, and people were coming quickly.、Um, and it, it now like the process is, is a lot longer, but. Back then, I mean, within like five years, six years, like everyone was here, and it was wild because seeing how things were back then to how it is now, like something like that would not happen nowadays. Where within five years, nine of your family members are here in America, and it's just it was a whole different world back then. That's true. Like now, I think the whole process you have to wait anywhere from seven to ten years just、yeah. to to get it approved. Did your family experience some sort of process to assimilate? I think everybody has an assimilation story. Whether is they did assimilate, they half assimilated, or they didn't. They chose not to. Also, if there was any time growing up when the lack of representation perhaps hurt you. Yeah. So I think their assimilation process for them. I think for my mom it was probably a little easier because her brother was here. So I know my uncle. He went through a, a, a very difficult time here, just moving from Peru and then just really trying to assimilate to life here. It's different, but he was also very cognizant of like, all right, like this is my new life, and we're just going to take advantage of what it is and live in the moment, which is America, not Peru. And I think a lot of my like my mom always tells me like, we love being Peruvian, we love Loma Saltado, Doña Pepa, but at the same time. A lot of Peruvians live in Peru, living here, and my parents were very much like, "Hey, we're here now. Like, we're not going to forget our roots. We're going to take you." Like, I've been to Peru three times, but we live here now. Like, this is our life. Like, you know, we can't like live in Peru and live here, but our minds are over there. Like, they were always very big on like being present. So I think when my mom came, like her mom was here, her siblings were here, so it was a little easier for her. On my dad's side, he has always told me that being here, it's not easy. Like coming from a new country, not knowing the language, but he also just pretty much plugged himself in and learned English. And he also was very cognizant that he needed to work because he didn't have anything here. His brother was here, but that was it. So he worked hard, and he met my mom here in America, and they got married, and you know they pretty much started from the ground up with living in my grandmother's attic in Patterson, like. And then from there we moved into a house, and I was born. And they they were very much cognizant that the reason they came here was to have a better life. And they always reminded us that daily. They're like, like I remember going home and having a C was unacceptable because my mom and dad were like, oh, no se nada en la casa, qué estás haciendo en la casa? Like I don't know, like hanging out. They're like, qué hanging out, hang. Like they were very like always very firm that like 
we came here to give you a better life, not for you to like be nothing. So having a C is unacceptable because you don't do anything in this house. And I was like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> like, you know, but they were also the coolest parents ever. Like, I love my parents. And then to answer your, your second question, the lack of representation, I think for me, it did hurt because all my friends growing up were everything else but Peruvian. So I had like Italian friends, Filipino friends, Black friends, Puerto Rican friends, Dominican friends, but I'm going to be very honest, like a person outside of my family, like a friend that's Peruvian, I know one person, no, I lied, there's two people, two people that are not family, but are Peruvian, that were friends, that were friends of, you know, mine. And meeting them, you're like, oh my gosh, oh, Inca Cola is, we don't have to explain. I don't have to explain to you what it is. (laughs) I don't have to explain to you the flavor. (laughs) The flavor, the bubblegum flavor, as everyone says, or like just knowing how your mom thinks or how your dad thinks and not having to explain, hey, like my mom said I can't go to a sleepover because they get in la casa, like, you know, or- Because that's unacceptable. What is a sleepover? Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, or like things like, oh, like, you know, um, like, oh, like explaining to my friends, like what causa is, like- you know, things like that, that, you know, or just being raised Peruvian. I think that's like a whole category within itself that you don't understand unless you are Peruvian. Yeah, no, I, I also remember not feeling as, as, as much as like, I, I was definitely appreciative of the um, Latinx community having more representation and, and back in the late nineties, like JLo coming to the scene, Ricky Martin yeah. coming to the scene, Shakira, all, you know, great latin artists but i was like but they're still not a peruvian they're still not a peruvian i was like so i i I also felt like where are my peruvian people you know so um again this is one of the reasons why i wanted to create this podcast because i want to connect all of us and i want us to see each other and our stories reflected so i think that's one of the reasons i got into tv because i never really saw a news reporter that looked like me in English television. Um, I saw one, his name is Tom Yamas. He, he works for ABC News now, but he used to do like the news here in New York. And he was the only guy, I'm like, that guy looks like me, that guy. And then when I interviewed with an agent here in New York, they're like, oh, you're like a mix of Tom Yamas with this other correspondent. And I was like, oh my gosh. I was like, that's why I joined TV was because of that guy. And he was, and I realized that there needs to be representation out there and for some person to be like man like I trust that guy not only because he does the news but because he looks like me right right so we talked about identity and how we identify ourselves based on our Peruvian background growing up here in the U.S. and we did touch on like how you identify yourself already so I want to ask this question what aspects of the Peruvian culture, Peruvian set of values do you appreciate the most? And then also saying what American values do you appreciate and value the most? How do you balance those two values? Because we are a product, yes, of our background of having, having those roots in Peru, but we're also a product of having grown up in this country, right? So tell me about those two set of values and how you balance those two out. Yeah, so I think the proven values that I carry, because they they were ingrained in me is like family. Like family to me is, is everything. Sometimes we don't see eye to eye, and that's a different story. But 
at the end of the day, we're all family. And that's something that whenever I accomplish something great or something that seems big or minor, my parents are always there, like they're there cheerleading me on and they're there wishing me the best. And I call my mom every day. I call my dad every day. And it's those values of having family by your side that I really do carry to like everything I do in life. And it's funny because like sometimes whenever I make a big decision, I always say to myself, oh, what would my mom and dad think? And I sometimes that's good. And sometimes I hate that because I'm like, oh, they would probably think it's stupid. But it's it's something that I carry in me. And also the value, honestly, of knowing where my family came from, knowing that we didn't come, we weren't rich. We we didn't have much. My mom's family, they grew up in a in a tiny house with eight of them. My grandfather passed away early on in life. So my grandmother raised everyone. Like we we had very humble beginnings. And what we have now, I have to thank them and remind myself that at the end of the day, I worked hard, they worked hard to get here and they worked hard for me to have an easy life. And I can't forget that, you know, they sacrificed so much for me to be here and for me to be able to live a good life. Um, and American values, I think pride for your country is definitely one because I think coming here, living here, immigrating here, whatever you want to call it, there's a sense of pride you have of being, you know, in America, because this is like America, like this is everyone improves like, oh, it's still to me, those whatever, you know, and it's a, it's a sense of pride. And I think another American value that I've noticed that isn't as much Peruvian is accepting your friends as family. <laughs> because in Peruvian culture, it's very much, oh, la familia, la familia, y los amigos no son la familia. But in American culture, it's like, oh, your friends are like family. And like, I did things a little bit not traditional where I went to college and I had roommates. Like people don't leave their house until you get married in Peru. You know, I was like, listen, it's 18. Like I'm going to college. Like I'm doing things like the American way. And a lot of my friends that are not Peruvian, they're family to me. And I, there's a lot of loyalty because we've been through things that sometimes my mom's like, oh, tú siempre los amigos antes de la familia. I'm like, no, I was like, they're just like family. So that's a big thing that I realized that there's, I don't think there's ever going to be mutual understanding, but at the end of the day, I mean, it is what it is. Like, so it goes it's hand in, in hand. Yeah. It's interesting that, but like overall it's still family, right? Like it's, yeah, just, exactly. it's just who you just define as family has expanded from biological to more like now a experience, a person you have, when you went through an experience with, right? So yeah. that is true. I haven't thought of that, like that for us like family is family. And, and something my dad has always said to me was like, even if you're mad at a family member, you still show up for them. You still show up for them. And so like, I could see my dad argue with my aunt about something and it's a heated argument yeah. and, like they're, and they wouldn't talk perhaps for weeks, but something happens. And then like, he will be like, nope, I'm going to show up for her because she needs me at this moment. This is moment serious. And so I'm like, are you mad at her? Why are you guys arguing? <laughs> And that's my American side, right? Like, wasn't she rude to you? <laughs> so, but like, he doesn't care. He's like, it's family and you show up. So, all right. So let's transition to our rapid fire questions. So I have a couple questions for you and just whatever comes to mind, like the first thing, just go ahead and answer it. So, plato peruano preferido. Lomo saltado. Lomo saltado. So good. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and get hungry after this conversation. Algarrobina, pisco sour. Pisco sour. Mas Why no festejo? That's a hard one. 
everybody tells me that. <laughs> that's such a hard one. That's both. Both. I'm going to do both. Okay. Yeah. Do you I, know- I can explain. Festejo just brings so much happiness. And like, it's just like a happy atmosphere. And it's just like, I don't know. And, and then your feet start moving and you're like, oh my gosh. And then Eva Young starts singing. And you're like, all right, like I'm in. Like, um, but I think why no? Because I think growing up, like there was like wino would always be played. And my aunt, whether it's on my mom or my dad's side, like there was just like, it it just has this fond memory in my mind of like everyone coming together. And then it's just like this, it's our roots. It's just like us, like whether you, whatever part of Peru you're from, when you put a wino, it's just like, like you just feel connected to Peru. Yeah. And I think it's also a grounding experience in some way, maybe because it's tied to family or tied to or indigenous you know culture and root it's funny some of the answers i gotten had has also been like depends on the time of the night whether it's wino or festejo which i thought it was really funny too that's awesome <laughs> all right tu lugar favorito en peru so i don't i don't have a proper answer for that one okay i've been there three times mm-hmm. one when i was like four and then uh-huh. back to back when i was like 10 and 11 and there's like bits and pieces that I know so and then I haven't gone back I'm you know almost 30 and I'm like oh like I have to go back so I would say Lima but that kind of be cheating because I remember (laughs) bits and pieces of it but yeah okay yeah I mean I know for some have said like my grandparents house like if you could have a memory like that like a family member's house yeah it doesn't it doesn't have to be a city so how about talento artista peruano uh, preferido it could be like a singer, a writer, anybody. Uh, for me, it'd be Eva Young. Because mm-hmm. Eva is, she's family at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's like every event, whether it's a baptism or like a family get together, it's always, she's always on. And mm-hmm. between that and like Musica Criolla, like mm-hmm. that's like my mom and dad's like, that's her thing. And they were born in that era where like Musica Criolla was like the thing. All of those songs have like, we know it by heart. And that in Grupo Cinco. Grupo oh, Cinco. Grupo Cinco. <laughs> Grupo Cinco uh, is my jam. I was going to say, ¿Qué canción te hace recordar al Perú? Al Perú, like, you know, or like when you think of Peru, that's the first one that comes to mind. Maybe it's una música criolla because you just mentioned it, but. Yeah, I think for me, it would be um, this, uh, when Peru went to the World Cup, that song, Peru Campeón, that song, Rising of Peru. <laughs> And I think it's so funny because my parents, li- my mom lived in Peru and whatnot. And when that whole thing was going on and like them talking about that, it's like they haven't left that time and they transformed back into that specific era. And they're, they're like, oh my gosh, like they start naming the players and then they start singing the song and then they like scream it. And they're like, and then when the song go, they like look it up on YouTube and they're like, I love the Peru el deporte it's so funny and it's awesome yeah it's a great song i love it's definitely a song that i will play just to like cheer me up even though i didn't live in that era that that joy definitely carries through to like now to new generations so yeah i love that song that song's awesome all right so what message as we wrap up this the interview what message um do you want to share with peruvians in peru who are listening to this and also what message do you have for peruvians in the u.s so for Peruvians in Peru, I would say that Peruvians here haven't forgotten about them. 
and that they're very much on our mind. And when things happen in Peru, we are so aware of it because I feel like sometimes like Peruvians may forget where they come from and they don't know, or they just kind of put it aside, but we remember, we, we know, and we're always connected and we're always connected with our roots. And regardless of whether we speak English or Spanish or whatever, like Peru is the motherland and there's always a connection. Siempre va a haber conexión con la gente de Peru y con... And then for the Peruvians in the USA, I would say you're not alone because many times you feel like the only Peruvians I know are my family, like what's going on. So you're not alone. And I would also say that to be proud of what you've accomplished here in the States, because at the end of the day, there's always pressure from either parents or from someone that you're like, oh, you left Peru. What have you done? Or like, people always want to know like what's the latest but everyone's work everyone works hard here and to be to be to be confident and to be proud of what you've accomplished here because you know you left peru and that was hard that's an accomplishment within itself leaving peru leaving a country and coming to something completely new and different is something that i think about it now like my parents left at my age and i would freak out if i had to go to another country so to know that to be proud of yourself and to not forget where you come from. That is something that I think, especially Peruvian Americans, they forget what the struggle was for their parents to get here. And I'm always aware, and my parents always remind me, like, just because you live in New York City, because you've had fancy jobs on TV, because you got paid well, doesn't mean you can erase and forget the fact that, like, we came from Nueva Esperanza en el Paradero Nueve en Lima, like that's where we grew up and my parents have taken me to that house and they always remind us like this is where we came from don't ever forget it yes that's i mean i think that's something that my parents have also said like definitely remember where you come from then always forget it and and take advantage of all the sacrifices that they made for us and i think the message of the fact that leaving home in and itself in and of itself is something incredibly brave and, and, and an accomplishment in itself because you they did what they needed to do to give us a better life right here. Yeah. And I think something that always reminds me is my, like, for example, like my mom, when she speaks English, sometimes it's with an accent. And knowing that she had to learn a whole new language and just assimilate and, and transition to this American life. And she can defend herself, but it's not perfect English. I think about like, oh, if I ever went to France to learn French and learn how to read French and, you know, that's wild. And the fact that our parents have done that, that's amazing to me. And that speaks volumes, regardless of what they're doing, whatever in life, but that within itself is awesome and tremendous. So how can our audience stay in touch with you, follow any real estate endeavors that you have, your news reporting, audiobooks? If they want to learn more about you or connect with you, how can they do that? Sure. So you can follow me on Instagram. It's Johnny Fernandez TV, J-O-H-N-Y with one N. Uh, my parents did that. I don't know why. And then same thing for Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter. It's going to be J Fernandez TV. Let me just double check that real quick because... I always end up forgetting that. Yeah, Jay Fernandez TV, <laughs> J-F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z TV. And then add me on Facebook, Johnny Fernandez, J-O-H-N-Y Fernandez. And yeah, that's pretty much all the social media I have. And 
I'm rebranding some stuff to just kind of, you know, get used to my new life now. Uh-huh. So we'll see what where 2021 takes us and see what, what new adventures I hop on this year. Yeah. And we'll have all those links on the description notes on the episode description and as well on our Instagram account. So if uh, you didn't catch all of those links, we can make sure that the audience gets them. So thank you, Johnny. It's been a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you for sharing your story, your trajectory, like your career trajectory, your family's history coming here to the U.S. I am sure that our audience is appreciated all the all the lessons that you have shared with us and let's stay in touch because I definitely want to see where your career takes you. Thank you guys. And one thing, que viva Peru. Que viva Peru. Que viva Peru. Peru. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cursing this half I know, that's why I was like, I can't say the rest, but you're Peru, you know. You know Peru Thank you for listening to Peruvians of USA. If you like the show, make sure to subscribe and review an Apple podcast. It lets other Peruvians find the show. If you want to hear more from me, you can follow me on Instagram at Peruvians of USA. I look forward to connecting with you there. And remember, el mejor amigo de un peruano es otro peruano. Chao.